Hi, this is Randy Thomas, the voiceover artist and personal friend of Shelley Wade, and you're listening to All the Rage with Shelley Wade. And whoever today's guest is, they are in for an excellent time. Aw, thanks, Randy. Actually, you'll be excited to know that my guest this episode is our good friend Dave Fenoy. Yeah, another highly successful voiceover artist who got his start in radio. One of the things I really enjoyed about interviewing Dave was this lifelong theme he's had of going after his goals and his dreams and not letting anyone or anything deter him. Definitely inspiring to hear. You're also going to love to hear the advice he has for you for your voiceover career. So stick around for that. In the meantime, yeah, you just heard the great Randy Thomas introing my podcast. Randy was actually on my last episode. Again, more great advice from Randy and just listening to her tell the story of her not only her radio career, but her successful voiceover career is mind-blowing. So definitely go back and listen to Randy Thomas's episode as well. And hopefully you've already done me a solid and subscribe to my All the Rage with Shelly Wade podcast. I know you have. That's because you're awesome. Also subscribe to my All the Rage with Shelly Wade YouTube channel and like my All the Rage with Shelly Wade Facebook page. Also like me on Instagram at the one and only Shelly Wade and on Twitter at Shelly Wade. Don't forget that Shelly spelt with an E-Y. And please do also bookmark my ShellyWade.com blog. Again, Shelly spelt with an E-Y. Okay, so for the last year that I've been off the radio, I have been dedicating full-time um, attention to my voiceover career. And it's just been an exciting ride. And the voiceover community has been so welcoming and helpful to me. So I wanted to pay it forward. A lot of people ask me advice on breaking into the voiceover industry. And that's why I decided to create the From Radio to VO series on my All the Rage with Shelly Wade podcast. So without any further delay, let's welcome my guest for this episode, the great Dave Fenoy. Dave, I am so happy that you decided to join me on the podcast. Oh, it's my pleasure. I'd like to start by getting, you know, you know, where are you from? Give us your background, where you're from. Um, how'd you discover radio, other than the fact that you have a great voice? Um, how'd you get your big break in all of that? Well, let's see. I had not thought about being a radio disc jock early in my life. Uh, I was going to be an athlete or an actor. And uh, I was doing a lot of plays in Cleveland where I grew up at uh, Caribou House, which was a uh, community theater and art center where I also learned to play the trumpet, do modern dance, uh, fence. Uh, <laughs> just, it, it was a wonderful place. Uh, so in high school, I was uh, doing plays, went off to college as a theater major. Um, and then I was also playing music, quit school, went on the road for a bit. And while I was on the road, I uh, stopped off in Texas my home uh, where, state, Tejas. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I had a cousin there who's no longer with us, uh, Randy Rand, who was a uh, he was a an A and R guy. So um, he would take me on his uh, trips when he was uh, doing uh, doing parties, being a DJ out and about, and I just kind of got to love the idea of radio. Mm-hmm. So uh, I, I stayed down there for about a year and uh, went back to school and music, finished up, 
uh, got married, had a kid, uh, moved to the Bay Area where uh, I decided to pursue radio as uh, it looked like the, the rock and roll thing wasn't going to take off after all. <laughs> I was just about to ask you what kind of what kind of album you were recording. What was the genre? Well, rock it and was, roll? It was actually, well, it really wasn't rock and roll. It was more R&B. Uh, it was a mixture of folk, R&B, and jazz. Okay. Kind of like so, a precursor to like uh, uh, Neo Soul, maybe? <laughs> kind of like that. Yeah. Kind of like that. And I, I had had a band uh, when I was in D.C. after I left Texas and, and uh, gone to uh, Howard University. I was in their music department. H.U., uh, and you we know. H.U., <laughs> you know. Kamala. Yep. <laughs> and uh, just uh, was playing around town. The band was doing okay, but uh, we just couldn't get that record deal. And, uh, you know, we kind of had that uh, divorce mm, yeah. <laughs> in the band. Uh, my wife of the time uh, got accepted to a Ph.D. program at UC Berkeley. Oh, okay. So uh, she and I and our six-month-old daughter moved out there, and I started knocking on radio doors. Hmm. I was in the Bay Area, uh, and the first thing I did was try to get an internship, uh, and I did at KNBR, I believe the station was. Uh, so I was basically an intern doing whatever they wanted for a little bit and uh, kept asking about being on air and they, <laughs> sorry, kid. Uh, but um, from that internship, I got a job at uh, a station, KNEW. It was a country western station, which uh, uh, country western music's really against my religion, but um, <laughs> really? I, I, I figured being the continuity director at this radio station, the person that made sure the right commercials played at the right times, uh, I would be in the door and be able to knock on some doors within those doors mm -hmm. to see if I could get on the air. Uh, well, they weren't interested in having me on the air, but um, I was not deterred. And I got a job at a little radio station in Concord, California. Um, it was it just served the area of Concord, didn't get back over the hill into the Bay Area. But it gave me some experience. Mm -hmm. And uh, and I kept knocking on doors, and finally, uh, KSOL, the number one station in town, gave me a shot overnight. Mm -hmm. uh, so I started working overnights at KSOL, did that for about a year or so. Uh, and uh, the morning person they had, um, oh, there was a little tiff, and uh, she was fired. And they brought me in to be the morning guy. Uh, on an interim basis. Yeah. And it lasted and lasted and <laughs> lasted. Um, and I really got comfortable there. And uh, ultimately, there was a battle between the program director and the music director, who, for some reason, in that station had equal powers. Hmm. And uh, the music director felt like it's my turn to pick somebody, but it had been the program director that hired me. Uh, so they brought in another brother from Oklahoma who had come from a country western station. Oh, wow. And, and gave him the job. And uh, I left and went to KDIA, the boss of KDIA, the boss of the Bay, <laughs> uh, which was a legendary uh, AM R&B station. Huh. Where you know we played gospel music, 
uh, in the morning till about uh, six o'clock when I came on. And then I'd have to say I was the opposite of gospel music. <laughs> you heathenized the place. <laughs> I heathenized the place. I, you know, I was doing all kind of crazy stuff and crazy characters. I, I had, uh, I had my uh, bevy of of talent that was helping me, like uh, my my uh, entertainment uh, reporter Lance Swisher. Oh, hello! And I was working under the name Billy David Ocean. But it, it, they were all me. Wait, 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 wait. I'm sorry, Dave. Where, where, where did these names come from? <laughs> oh, I just made it up. I just made So I would, uh, you know, we had the old eight-track tapes in where you could punch record and record something. You punch, stop, and stop, punch again. And it re- and so you could have conversations with yourself. <laughs> so every, more, every morning I would put together uh, those things. Uh, Lance of, was an everyday character who every day had some report on something that was going on. And I had a lot of fun with that. So, uh, Lance Swisher, oh, Billy, how are you? Well, this morning you won't believe what is happening. <laughs> um, I love and... it. <laughs> this is kind of like helping you with the, you know, your, your work, your animation work later in your voice. Later career. on in life. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I made friends with a lot of the uh, comedians and had some of them on in particular uh, uh, Mark Curry. Wow. You, Mark hung, Curry. you hung with Mr. Curry. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah, there you go. For his TV show later on. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I hung with Mark Curry and he played the character Granny. And, and, and Granny was like, the, oh, and, and she was, I'm Granny, tougher than leather. And uh, I, we would just riff uh, and Whatever was going on, whoever the celebrities were, wherever the parties were, Granny was there. She was the old lady that was hipper than hell and went (laughs) everywhere. Uh, So I had a lot of fun with that. And then uh, the the guy that they had brought in at KSOL uh, from Oklahoma, uh, he really was a country boy. Mm -hmm. And he he still kind of had some of that. Mm-hmm. Southern twang, uh, and not the cool Southern, but the I I grew up in the country, and I've been listening to country western music all my life, and so uh, he didn't last very long. He lasted about a year or so, maybe two, and then KSOL brought me back, and I was the morning man there uh, until 1990 through the rest of the 80s, uh, until of course, uh, as radio stations are wont to be, they hired a consultant <laughs> yeah. uh, and one day we came in it was February 9th 1990 uh, one by one as we got off the air everyone was fired and I me first because <laughs> I was the morning guy uh, but by that time I had been taking some voiceover classes I'd been doing some voiceover in town I was represented uh, in San Francisco uh, was all was a member of SAG after at that mm-hmm. point. Mm-hmm. Um, I had some clients in town: uh, Marine World, Africa, USA, uh, California Lottery, and uh, I said, "Oh, great! So now's my chance to uh, just go on and do voiceover." And mm-hmm. I'm going to move down to Los Angeles. I had taken a class a few months before. Uh, it was by an agent mm-hmm. from uh, Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, she gave me a card and said, hey, look, you're really talented. If you ever decide to do voiceover, we'd love to represent you in Los Angeles at uh, our agency, uh, Sutton, Barth, and Benari. Mm-hmm. So I uh, had to find her card. I knew it was in a drawer someplace. <laughs> and, and there it was, found it, called her up. And uh, Lee Gilbert was her name, by the way. Mm-hmm. And she said, yes, be happy to have you come down uh, and do this. I should mention... Uh, Joan Spangler, though, in San Francisco, she was my first agent, and I had put together a demo reel that consisted of uh, spots that I had done on the air, uh, you know, retail radio spots Mm -hmm. and a few other things that I had done. Uh, I did some work for some bands. uh, I had some buddies, a band called Okeisha Paradox. And I did their commercials, and they were like a, a, a band that was kind of everybody had a dreadlocks, man. So <laughs> I gave, so it was Okisha Paradox. <laughs> yes, you know, find out about the world on your inside. <laughs> Love it. And uh, she said, Well, you clearly have talent uh, when I finally got to meet Joan Spangler, because when I sent her my demo, that at the time was five minutes long. Wow. Uh, because I didn't know. Uh, and filled with uh, local retail spots. That's right. And if you call right now, you can get that. So uh, I kept calling. I sent it one week. The next week I'm calling. Say, hey, did you get my uh, demo? Uh, I know you loved it. And, oh, well, <laughs> yes, we received your demo. And, and uh, Miss Spangler will be happy to get in touch with you uh, sometime in the near future. Uh, well, this went on for a couple of months, mm-hmm. and then she finally called me in, went for the interview, and she says, well, you've got a lot of talent, but your demo is terrible. First of all, it's too long. Cut it down to uh, about three minutes, which now would be way too long, Yeah. and uh, get rid of all that retail stuff, and you want to have something that feels more national. Mm-hmm. So I got rid of the retail stuff, uh, and move some things around. I'd already had some national things on there, so I moved some things around. Uh, and, and she had said, and come back in six months. Wow, that's a long yeah. time. Yeah, that was a long time. Uh, and But I came back in six months, and she signed me, and I started booking things right away. Now, and to this day, I'm still in touch with her from time to time. And really cool. uh, I, I talked to her a few, uh, two or three months ago. Uh, I, you know, I do a, a podcast on Wednesdays, Ask Dave Fennoy Anything on Facebook Live. Mm-hmm. And I had mentioned that story, and I said, I really believe the reason that she said come back in six months is because she wanted to see if I was serious or not. Yeah. And uh, she confirmed that <laughs> just a couple of months ago hmm. after all these years. So, um, you know, it's it's a tough transition for most disc jockeys uh, to come out of uh, radio and go into voiceover, mm-hmm. uh, the majority of people who find success um, in voiceover tend to be actors. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And the the thing that is easiest for us coming out of radio are TV promos. Yeah. So I I did a lot of TV promos, and uh, but I also did cartoons, and I think that comes from. The fact is, as a kid, I watched cartoons and imitated the voices. And uh, when I was on radio, I had the opportunity of being a morning man, and I got to uh, play uh, crazy characters Mm -hmm. uh, on my radio show. Uh, I mean, there was also, uh, I had, uh, what was his name? Uh, 
Uh, oh, oh, Mr. Uh, yes. Uh, O'Banion, Private Dick. <laughs> Harry, Harry O'Ban, <laughs> Harry O'Banion, Private Dick. And he was a stupid <laughs> private eye that would always somehow luck up and get his man. Um, and then I would play the other characters with that. It, so I had, a, and I'd had a background in acting as a child, mm-hmm. as you may recall from mm-hmm. early on. So those are the things that helped me. Uh, and I recall working with a number of DJs uh, once my career was solidified, because uh, I didn't leave radio right away. I stayed on radio a couple of years down here working at a jazz station. And one of my coworkers, uh, every year, for the two years that I was on, it's only two years, uh, get around uh, August, she said, oh yeah, you gotta help me with my voiceover tape so I can book some of that Christmas money. Mm-hmm. And I would always say, well, you know, you really have to kind of look at it differently. Uh, it's not something you just jump in and out of uh, to take advantage of uh, a, a period of Americans spending money they don't have. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, this is something you have to train to do. I know we speak all the time, and especially if we're disc jockeys, we have become accustomed to reading, uh, you know, 40 seconds of copy in 30 seconds uh, with lots of numbers, addresses, directions, percentages uh, that mean nothing to us. Mm-hmm. And we learned how to do this thing where you can you can make it ha- feel like it has something going on with it when it really has nothing going on. But you're going to love it because <laughs> we're doing this thing with our voice. And, of course, uh, for radio, uh, for those local retail spots, that can work. But once you really have to connect with people, which is what voiceover is, uh, especially when you start looking at commercials, narration. Um, If you're not connecting, if people don't believe you, and we don't believe that guy anymore, that guy that's just got the smile that's too big, come on in here and get this used car. (laughs) Uh, All that pukey voice stuff is dead. Uh, The only place for it anymore is as to play a character that that's who that character is. and you also kind of have to learn to let go of uh, your clear and your crystal clear enunciation uh, and play more into who you are, what you're thinking, how you feel, and just say it as, a, as opposed to announce it. You know, one of the things you kind of learn from radio is you're, 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 you're elevated all the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, fortunately, when I went to jazz radio, I kind of became this guy as opposed to this guy. Mm -hmm. And I think that kind of helped me. But even then, it's kind of a manufactured read. Um, So I really had to uh, look back at my acting skills and, you know, figure out, well, who am I? Who am I talking to? How do I feel about what it is I'm saying? What's my worldview? Mm-hmm. Uh, and, of course, you would think it would be easiest to, you know, just, oh, who am I? Be me and do this. Uh, sometimes, you, especially when you've played a lot of different characters, you've been this DJ and whatnot, you never really thought about who you really were. Uh, and I think that's one of the things that uh, people coming out of radio have to get, that the skills they developed uh, to be able to pick up any piece of copy 
and give it a feeling, uh, not a real feeling, but because of the sing song of your voice and the phony attitude, uh, you think you're bringing it to life. And it may work for that client. It may be, bring people into that store. But once you're speaking to a national and even international audience uh, as a spokesperson for a car, a spokesperson for you know, a, a major uh, chain of restaurants or something, uh, you have to be a character that people believe. Mm-hmm. I've been rambling, so I'm giving you a chance to ask me anything. Yeah, you know, there's so many, you know, there's so many, you know, there's so much I want to unpack about what you said. You know, I want to rewind quite a bit. And you were saying that when you grew up, you didn't want to be in radio. You actually wanted to act and you wanted to be, um, you wanted to be an athlete. And I know you say you you, uh, learned uh, fencing, excuse me. Um, Yes, when you imagined yourself being a professional athlete, what did you imagine yourself being? Football. Prof- football. Really now? And yeah, Is that still I, I your played, sport? Uh, you know, I, I, I love football, not like I used to, mm-hmm. uh, but uh, I still have a love for football. Um, it's funny, my mom didn't want me to play, and she told my father she wasn't going to let me play, but then suddenly, here I was playing. She never told me. Yeah. Uh, but I, you know, I was a press star in uh, Cleveland uh, playing at my high school, went to a private boys' school, um, and had some scholarships uh, to colleges. I decided uh, I was going to go to McAllister College in St. Paul, Minnesota, because of their theater department. Uh, but I played football there. Uh, but I went from being an average-sized football player in high school to being the smallest guy on the team oh, wow. <laughs> in wow. college. Fortunately, I was fast. Uh, but uh, toward the end of the season, it wasn't a very good team. Uh, toward the end of the season, it might have been our last home game, um, a guy named Dave Snezeru, if I ever see him, I'm going to smack him. <laughs> Why? Uh, well, I was flanked off on the right side. My job was to take a few steps down the line, look and see if the quarterback was going to hit me quick, and if not, uh, fly on up the field uh, and, and go for a pass. We're already behind by more than two scores. We don't have enough time to catch up and, and have a breathtaking win, but we could make it look more respectable. Mm-hmm. So I get on the line, and I take off, and I turn my head to see if the quarterback is throwing and Dave Snezeru, their defensive end, winds back and clotheslines me. Mm. Now, the clothesline is supposed to hit you in the neck, which is bad enough. Mm-hmm. But he missed. And being a defensive end, he had his arm all wrapped up with, with the pads and tape and stuff. And he caught me in the jaw. Ooh. Um, I only know this because I saw the film. <laughs> uh, you're out. My head, my my head stopped. Ooh. My feet kept going, and so it was like my head stayed in place. My feet went out from under me, forward, uh, came to a level plane, and then I just dropped to the Ooh. ground. Ooh. So there's not very much time. I remember uh, I, I, later on hearing, you know, Dave, Dave, you got to get up, man. We don't have enough time to call. We can't call a timeout for you. <laughs> 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 It was so terrible, the refs came over and helped me to my feet Uh and pointed me to my side of the field. (laughs) 
your guys over there, young man. Just can, and I kind of uh, uh, drifted over there, and they they sent me into the locker room. It was our home locker room. I didn't recognize it. Uh, when when I finally realized, oh yeah, this is our home locker room. Uh, where's my locker? Because I couldn't remember where it was. I finally found my locker, and there was a lock on it. And it took me a while to figure out what the combination. Because I I man, my bell was rung. Um, we gotta and, find Dave Snezeru. We gotta find him. Uh, Dave Snezeru. Snezeru <laughs> from Hamlin College. <laughs> Take him out. Uh, but uh, they, uh, you know, they said, well, you know, you probably have a mild concussion. The thing you don't want to do is go to sleep. Uh, so they put me with the most boring, cornfed Nebraska lineman to spend a, a, a few hours with me to make sure that I was okay and not allow me to sleep. Hmm. And just the fact that I was with him and his conversation, oh, yeah, I'm from Nebraska, you know. We got a lot of corn out in Nebraska. You <laughs> like corn? You know, corn's in everything. You know, they uh, they make sugar from corn. <laughs> uh, you can have a corn dog. Yeah, and, uh, no, it's not really corn, but it's got corn in it. And, uh, Were you nodding little, off? Were you nodding off at that point? Uh, it, it was more like, ah, somebody get <laughs> <laughs> but uh, fortunately, I was okay. But uh, after that, I decided perhaps football was not for me. Okay. Uh, so so uh, I, uh, plus, uh, as a theater major, they were telling me I was going to have to spend more time in the theater and less time in other activities. Yeah. Uh, but so then I ended up. Li- quitting school and going on the road as a musician. I was about to say to you, well, first of all, um, well, so much I want to ask. When you were pursuing your theater, when you felt like that was the thing after football, um, did you have any actors that were, you know, your your idols or that you looked up to? Well, your favorite actors, maybe. Uh, Well, you know, that was so long ago, I can barely (laughs) remember it now. Uh, (laughs) I, I had some favorite, you know, uh, my favorite actors back then, uh, wow, uh, the names are not popping into my head mm-hmm. just at the moment. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't think I was quite as aware of uh, then it was more of an idea of being an actor than Damn. I've got to go see this movie because I wasn't that that actor that, uh, you know, I... I don't think it was as self-aware then as I am now. Mm-hmm. Uh, some of it, you know, sometimes <clears throat> you, you you think you want to do something, uh, and maybe you actually do, but you don't know all the steps you need to take. Yeah. Uh, it, my parents were were wonderful. They would help me with any or support anything I wanted to do, but they didn't know how to, you know. Well, <laughs> we 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 let him go. We let him go to Caramu, and he did some acting there and was in some plays in, in high school. We went to his plays and whatnot. But uh, for someone who would say, hey, listen, why don't we get you in touch with blah, 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 that wasn't that wasn't who they were. It, it was, and, it, listen, and, they weren't um, stage parents. They didn't know, you know? <laughs> no, no. Uh, we were in Cleveland. My mother was a school teacher. My father was a veterinarian who uh, worked for USDA as a foreign programs officer. Oh, wow. Uh, you know, my father came from East St. Louis, Illinois. Uh, his father was a carpenter. My mother came from East Texas. Hmm. Her father was a farmer. Okay. Uh, her father, uh, neither of their parents, I think, <clears throat> uh, finished high school. Wow. 
I mean, uh, Dave, we could, we could be related. My dad is from East Texas, grew up on a farm in East Texas. Let's go back with our well, family trees. <laughs> do you, got, you got any loves and Rambos in your family line? Not that I know of. Not that okay. I know loves, of. Loves, Rambos, and Rands. Okay. My mother was a Rand, but there was a lot of uh, Rambos and loves that uh, kind of intermarried a little bit. It was kind of <laughs> incestuous, if you really want to know. Hey, you know... Um, it, the, the theme that I'm finding about you over your lifetime is you were very uninhibited. Um, you, <laughs> you know, and, and, that, and that's actually a good thing uh, because, it, it, you know, it speaks to um, your um, willingness to try and to explore and to be creative. That's a good way of putting it. It makes it sound uh, good. <laughs> How would you put it? <laughs> oh, I, I did a whole lot of crazy stuff. <laughs> okay. I, I did a lot of crazy stuff, and I I, I was adventurous. Uh, I did try a lot of things. I um, probably had no fear when I should have. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there are so many people who say they want to do this and do that, and from the way I hear it, you're you know, okay, I decided to you know leave school and I'm going to go you know perform around the country. Um, okay, I'm going to go to Texas and hang out there for a little bit. Okay, let's go to you know San Francisco with the family, and I'm going to start my radio career. Oh, now I'm interested in voiceover. I'm going to go down to L.A. There are so many people who would, um, you know, think think so much about it and think so long about it and they just would let that fear of making a decision stop them, you know? So much uh, that you want to do will not make sense uh, sometimes even to you, Mm -hmm. uh, but definitely not make sense to the the people you know and love who they really are trying to support you, but they're dream killers. Yep. Uh, You you can't share everything with everybody that you want to do. When I I decided to... uh, uh, do uh, voiceover. I had a plan. My plan was as soon as I'm making as much money in voiceover as I am in radio, I'll switch over to voiceover. Well, I got fired from the radio station along with everybody else, mm-hmm. and and that plan didn't go into fruition. Uh, what I did uh, instead uh, was I got a new demo done, and I started driving down to Los Angeles um, every week. Uh, before that, a buddy of mine from high school uh, was working on Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. He was the cartoon director. Uh, uh, he was the director of the artists. And I hadn't been in touch with him in years, uh, but I got in touch with him. He told me what he was doing. He said, put together uh, a little animated demo and let's see. Well, I was still on the radio then. Put it together, sent it to him. Calls me a week later. He says, well, you know what? I'm uh, I'm glad this was good because I only told you I'd, I'd listen to it because we go way back Mm -hmm. Uh, and he got me three auditions while I was still in Northern California well I drove the 350 miles from home to each of those auditions spent that five ten minutes uh, doing the audition and got in my car and drove my butt back I did that three times you know how many of them I booked how many none Wow but I was in the game Uh, and once I got, uh, my representation, I would drive down to, uh, Southern California and stay for a week and then drive back, uh, because my family, we were still living in Berkeley. And for a month I stayed on the couch, uh, with, uh, a buddy, another buddy of mine from 
high school. As a matter of fact, it was the brother. They were the Kafka brothers, uh, Tom and John Kafka. And I was staying on, on Tom's couch, did that for a month. And I had some relatives, stayed on, on in a bedroom with them for a month. Uh, then another guy and I uh, rented an apartment uh, in North Hollywood uh, that was cheap. And we were both doing the same thing. He was from Northern California, too. But I drove down for about eight, nine months. Every week, I was driving from the Bay Area, where I lived in Berkeley, uh, down to Southern California, working, doing auditions, and then driving back. Uh, then I moved my family down. We bought a little house in Pasadena. Oh, it was so nice. <laughs> bought a little house in Pasadena because I, I had begun to work and, and, and do okay. And your um, wife was okay with the idea of that? It was, wasn't a hard uh, convince? Um, well, it wasn't hard to convince, but I, she didn't stay convinced. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay. Uh, and it, it's, I think, one of the reasons uh, we finally divorced. Mm-hmm. Um, she felt like uh, snatched her away from all her friends and her life and whatnot. Or maybe she was just sick of me. <laughs> um, <laughs> maybe it's a combination of both. <laughs> maybe a combination of the... But uh, I came down and, and, and did pretty well. Now, I, I continued to take lessons and classes um, to be better at what I do and also to learn how to, to learn how to lose that thing that you always do when you're a disc jockey and you've got that voice and you're coming at somebody like this. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, I can do that. That's great. Oh, you, you want it nice and intimate? I can make it nice and intimate. Yeah. Uh, what I find so many guys and gals that come out of radio is that they uh, that has been success for them and they don't know how to let it go mm-hmm. but you gotta let it go yeah, and that's what I, I've been spending the last uh, year that I've been focused on voiceover beating the radio out of me. And so, <laughs> you know, and I, I did some coaching with you, which was pretty amazing. Running the gamut from uh, TV promos, commercials, narration, uh, and, and the various forms of narration and animation and video games. When I decided to start teaching um, seriously, because... If you have any success in voiceover and people find out every, oh, wow, you do voiceover. Great, man. Uh, listen, um, how do I get into that? Mm-hmm. That's all. Or you run into the people, yo, man, uh, how you doing? Uh, my name is Bob, and they tell me I got a great voice and I should be doing voiceover. <laughs> and you're like, oh, maybe. Um, <laughs> it's because it, it really is not about your voice. That's the thing we hear. That's the thing people comment on. But if Morgan Freeman didn't have Morgan Freeman's read, we wouldn't care. Mm-hmm. We wouldn't care. Uh, so you have to learn to, uh, you know, funnel those thoughts and feelings through you in an honest way, uh, so that when you, so that you connect with people, head and heart. And so often, a lot of that is letting go of uh, enunciating, and especially for us as Black folks. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've been told so many times that we we don't speak the king's English well, um, and then on the other side, we when we do, oh, he speaks so well. He's an educated <laughs> man, of course he does. Yeah. Uh, t- too often uh, we are over enunciating because we think uh, that's what we need to do, and the truth is we don't. Uh, we're also in the years since I started. 
this is a whole new two or three generations of black people. Uh, we come from every walk of life, from every social strata, uh, from every level of education. Uh, so we are very diverse. And uh, one of the things you have to get over is um, what do you do when that white director says, uh, can you make it blacker? I know. I've had that, Dave. I've had, I remember when I was in New York, uh, back then I was signed to William Morris and they, um, I was, I was doing a session. It was like, uh, I think for a sports um, station or something like that. I can't remember. Mm -hmm. But I remember I was in the booth. It was me and two white guys and, you know, they were the sports fans and I forgot what my role was. But then, um, then the guy paused. He was like, can you sound more urban? <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> oh, the, the euphemism for black. You know, and it's it's like, you know, my my voice. I don't think you know when people um, are casting what they feel is the you know their definition of of what a black woman should sound like. I'm not always the first person they think of, you know, and so yeah. I think that there needs to be um, a more. I don't know. There needs to be a wider um, idea of what um, African Americans sound like, because as you said, we're so diverse. There are so many ways we sound, wa ways know, we sound and speak. You know, you can be that Southern brother from the Delta that didn't get to go to school, uh, that you know, is chopping up everything. Doesn't mean he's not bright. Uh, you can be that college-educated uh, person who, who uh, graduated with some degree also doesn't mean that that person is bright. Mm -hmm. uh, and we have speech that's different in different areas just like the rest of Americans do. Uh, so what I would say is, look, would you ever ask a white actor to make it whiter? <laughs> Tell me what it is you're looking for. Are you looking for a Chicago brother who you know is in business? Are you looking for uh, a, a brother from L.A., from Compton? Are you looking, what, it, what is it you're looking for? Give me a description of who this person is, where they're from, what their education level is, and I'll give you that. Mm -hmm. uh, but there's just this, oh, can you make it blacker? Yeah, because there's no, no you, one way you to make sound it black. Whiter, sucker. Yeah. There's no one yeah. way to sound black. And, you know, exactly. It's just, exactly. You know, it's, it's a thing, though. <laughs> and, and think of the number of black people now who, grew, who may have been the only black kid growing up in a suburban neighborhood, and there's lots of them, mm -hmm. uh, and their entire life experienced at least through high school is uh, white America mm -hmm. and white kids and white music and uh, white way of dressing, white way of talking, uh, or let's the area where they're in, that they're not being uh, introduced as much to the to what we think of as uh, the various areas of black culture that they might have been. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and that can that can be a lonely place uh, as they get older and the world sees them as not as this oh oh there's a cute young white black boy there and uh oh there's a that's a black man he's big I'm scared yeah. people like you know it's it's just a, you know an entertainment well in life period but you know since we're talking about entertainment and voiceover it's uh, people like to put you in a box. You yes. know, and, and it's it's uh, really hard for them to see you outside of, of that box. So, um, you know, to our back to our conversation about uh, coaching, uh, what advice would you give uh, to anyone uh, wanting to break into voiceover? But, you know, more specifically, radio people um, who who do need coaching. What's the best way to find um, the proper coach for you, in your opinion? 
Well, one, figure out what it is you want to do in voiceover. And a lot of times you don't know. Uh, I always tell people, once you're interested in voiceover, it's a different world than it was. You've got the Internet. Uh, you can go on the Internet and Google this and that and the other. You can Google uh, voiceover coaches. Um, I've got a whole Dave Fennoy voiceover training page. You can go and see uh, episodes of Ask Dave Fennoy Anything uh, where I'm talking to all kinds of voiceover people about voiceover. Uh, that other voice acting teachers have the same thing. Take in as much as you can for free before you start spending money. Uh, and when you start spending money, the first thing to do is take a class um, because it gives you an idea of where you are compared to other people who are just starting out. Uh, you'll, you'll find out, well, maybe this isn't for you or maybe you really do have something because you're just outshining everybody in that room. Uh, then you can start taking private lessons. Put together a, a plan, and the only way you're going to get a plan is, is studying what other people have done. You've got to do your studying. You've got to get your, your skills up. Uh, talent is one thing. Skills are another. Uh, then you get your demos together and a website together. Uh, and because of the world we live in now, you can start looking for work. There are pay-to-play sites. I'm not a big fan of them, but they're there. They're a feature of of the economy now, mm -hmm. uh, or if your if your uh, demo's good enough and you've joined some of the groups on Facebook and other places for uh, voiceover actors, uh, you can start querying the people that you know from social media that are doing voiceover. Who are the good coaches? Who are the good agents? Um, people are your best resource, and we're living in a time where it's very easy uh, to find your people. Yeah. On, on Facebook or LinkedIn. There are a lot more tools now than there were when I was coming along uh, to help you get started. There's also a lot more to do. I didn't have to have a studio when I started. You yeah. have to have a voiceover studio now. Uh, fortunately, there's a lot of information on microphones and booths and computers and interfaces and preamps and so forth uh, that don't cost nearly what they cost uh, when I was starting. It, it can seem overwhelming, uh, but, but just like eating the elephant, you have to do it one bite at a time. <laughs> yeah, you know, sometimes, you know, the, I was just saying this in, in the previous episode of the podcast that it's just so much to learn. It can become overwhelming, but you just have to, like you said, take it one step at a time. Don't let it overwhelm you to the point where you're paralyzed. You know, just one step at a time, you can do this. You know, when you were talking about the technology and how, you know, the times we're in now, and I was listening to you earlier talking about driving back and forth between Northern California and Southern California as many times as you did it and renting out the apartment and yada, yada, yada. Right, like these days, you don't have to do all that, you know, because you can You do don't. <laughs> uh, you know, you can just about do this business from anywhere. And I think uh, uh, because of the pandemic, um, I, I think when we come out of this, uh, it's going to be a different world, and you will be able to work from anywhere. Mm -hmm. uh, I have friends who are in Europe and work, friends who are in Mexico and work. Uh, one of the things they do is not always mention where they are, 
but you have to have a home studio and uh, Source Connect or Connection Open or Ipdiddle uh, to connect to people in other places because so many studios now uh, are not equipped to have uh, human beings in them uh, because of the COVID virus. Mm-hmm. And uh, rather than the numbers going down right now, the numbers are going up. Sadly. Uh, again, sadly. Uh, didn't have to be this way, but hey, this is the way it is. Uh, thank you, Orange Idiot. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I think we're looking at a world where more of us are going to be working for a home. I've done four jobs outside of my studio since uh, the lockdown went into effect in March. You say four? Four. Mm-hmm. And now, back in the day, that would have been maybe a couple a day outside. Uh, but I've had a home studio for more than 20 years mm-hmm. uh, because doing a lot of TV promos, uh, we, we were the first to get home studios and work from home. Uh, of course, now ISDN, which we used as uh, gone the way of the dinosaur there, Shunny. And we're, you know, using the Internet now. Do you ultimately feel like um, um, you, I don't know, the all of the experiences of all that travel, you know, back and forth between L.A. and the San Francisco area, do you feel like you're better for all of that, you know, as opposed to, you know, you know, the people who are coming up now who didn't really have to, you know, put in all of that work and dedication? Uh, I, I don't think better. I think it's just a different experience. Mm-hmm. Uh, and like I said, there's so much more they have to get together quicker than I did. I had the uh, the joy of uh, being able to go to my agents to audition uh, and going to somebody else's studio to work, which means I didn't need a microphone, I didn't need a studio set up for many years of my career, from 1990 to late, oh, gosh, I probably had a studio, but I probably did six years without having to have my own studio. Mm-hmm. Um, and then not everybody had to have their own studio. People who were doing video games and animation and commercials, uh, it wasn't necessarily required. Uh, now it is. Now it is. If you don't have a home studio, you ain't really in this business. Yeah, yeah. And, um, you know, for the people who may be interested in getting some coaching from you, um, tell everyone your address. Pretty easy, but share it with everyone. Oh. And then where they can find you on social media as well. Uh, yeah, Uh And you can click on the Study VO tab and sign yourself up and uh, book, uh, you know, one or five or a package of 10. Uh, also on YouTube, if you want to save some money and just kind of get into it first uh, for free, uh, check out my uh, YouTube channel, Dave Fenoy Voiceover Training. Um, and I, I recommend that. Uh, and and look at some other people's uh, websites. Uh, I had Mary Lynn Wisner on my Ask Dave Fenoy Anything, which Facebook, um, uh, Dave Fennoy on Facebook, uh, every Wednesday, 6 p.m. on Facebook Live, I have somebody on. Occasionally, it's just me. Mm-hmm. Uh, answering questions and talking about all things voiceover. Um, and so there's that. Uh, and just spend some time 
it, it's funny. Sometimes I'll have students and uh, or friends in voiceover, and they'll call me up or send me a note and say, hey, I, I bought this new microphone. It's a this, this, and this. Uh, what do you think? And all too often, it was not a good choice. Hmm. And I said, why didn't you call me before you bought it? <laughs> I could have it, saved you some money, or I could have, you know, made sure you got the proper equipment. Right, and and what I'm saying there is, talk to people who are doing what you're doing. I remember at one one point I was like, oh gee, I need to do something else. I was having a low point or something, and uh, went to a couple of seminars. And one of the things that stuck with me was the advice: don't get advice about doing something from somebody who doesn't do that. Wow. You know, uh, yeah. the person that's not a millionaire, never been a millionaire, ain't the person to tell you how to become a millionaire. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the person who uh, is barely getting by in voiceover is not the person to tell you how to do, how to create a voiceover career. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are a lot of good people out there. Once again, joining the community. Uh, go on Facebook, go on Instagram, find the voiceover communities uh, and join them. Engage in the conversation or better yet, uh, check out the conversation, uh, what the posts are, what they are about. You begin to get an understanding of the genre and the the jargon um, and things will begin to make sense. And you can ask questions. Hey, I'm the new guy over here or the new gal over here. I need a microphone. What 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 would be uh, best for me? Uh, and you'll you'll get a variety of answers, but more often than not, uh, the variety of answers are going to include some very good answers. Yeah. Uh, there's a thing about uh, casting. They say sometimes that uh, it's always a, 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 a it's, it's never done by just one person. It's always a committee. You may be somebody's first choice, but somebody else is everybody's second choice. That's not a bad way to figure out what equipment you want. You've asked 10 people what microphone to get, and uh, maybe seven of them say, oh, you need a 416, and another one's, and get a few others. Maybe they're making a list. That'd be a good way to figure out, hmm, these are the microphones I should look at. Mm-hmm. Uh what I found is voiceover people, the industry um, as a whole, people are very helpful and they give advice so freely. Yes, it's true. It's true. It's one of the best things I like about our industry. Um, nothing like uh, going for an on-camera audition uh, when it's a bunch of models there. The, the hate in the room is palpable. Wow, all these women hate each other. And it's it's creeping onto me. Oh. <laughs> hey, Dave, would you ever go back to radio? Uh, well, I have learned to never say never. Uh, I don't know what radio uh, opportunity would present itself that I would go back to. Probably uh, uh, talk radio of some kind. You you would do well with talk radio. You would do really well. Um, I know that some you know you post quite a bit about politics. You think you would focus on politics or just kind of like um, you know pop culture, or everyday kind of things. What what would be your interest? Well, you know, uh, politics would definitely be a part of it, mm-hmm. but uh, also you know human relationships in general. Uh, I'm not that much of the gossip guy. Mm-hmm. 
so if if I were a part of a show, somebody else would be carrying that weight mostly. I would probably be making cryptic remarks. <laughs> um, uh, but, it, you know, people have asked me, if I weren't doing this, what would I be doing? I like to fantasize that I'd be a history professor someplace. Uh, because uh, history, human behavior, uh, fighting injustice, uh, how, why would 70 million people who have heard uh, Donald Trump speak vote for him? Mm-hmm. What, what was it about this guy who lies to you, mm-hmm. who preaches those kinds of things? I'd like to know. And um, I've seen the, the, the meme a number of times. For those of you who are wondering how Hitler came to power and what people were doing uh, while he was doing so, you're seeing it now. Hmm. And uh, we'll have to see. These next uh, 60-something days are going to be uh, very interesting since he says he thinks he won and several of his uh, minions are suggesting the same thing. Uh, Pompeo suggesting, uh, oh, we're preparing for his second term. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, we are living under the Chinese curse. Interesting times. You um, definitely have to get your talk show. (laughs) 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 You have the gift of gab and you have opinions to share. That is definitely something. And you can you can continue to do your VO (laughs) while you're doing that. Well, we'll see. We'll see. I've thought of getting a group of of, uh, people together and and just kind of doing a uh, some kind of little talk show couple of, of comedian friends and mm-hmm. who knows who else and just, uh, you know, chew it up once a week or so. We'll see. Well, I would definitely be listening, so keep us posted. Ah, well, thank you. Thank <laughs> you. No, thank you for joining me on the, on the podcast. I really appreciate you, and I know a lot of people are going to really appreciate um, hearing your story and the, the great advice that you gave, um, and keep being uninhibited. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to do my best, too. Sh- Shelly, thank you so much. Uh, yeah. I really appreciate it with, you know... Uh, one of the best things in the world is when somebody wants to hear what you have to say. What a great story, right? And great advice, the great Dave Fenoy. Be sure to join me for the next episode of the All the Rage with Shelly Wade podcast from radio to VO. My guest will be Keisha Monk. Yeah, fresh off her gig announcing the Soul Train Awards. She's going to be on my podcast. So be sure to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. We drop a new one every Tuesday. In the meantime, follow my shenanigans on social media. You can find me on Instagram at the one and only Shelly Wade, on Twitter at Shelly Wade, of course Shelly spelt with an E-Y. I'm on Facebook and YouTube, All the Rage with Shelly Wade. Bookmark my blog at ShellyWade.com and again Shelly spelt with an E-Y. Thanks to my college buddy Jolando Johnson for my All the Rage with Shelly Wade podcast theme music. Be sure to like his Facebook page at Jolando Johnson Music. I'll talk to you next episode. Love you for listening.